0: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two lovely sponsors this week. Welcoming back Harvest at GetHarvest.com. It is time tracking for professionals. Let's get to work. Uh, we'll tell you more about that later in the show. And at Environments for Humans, who are doing the JS Summit, literally at JSSummit.com, which will redirect you, so if that happens to you, don't be freaked out, uh, to the 2013 JavaScript Summit. It's a three-day thing, November 19th, 20th, and 21st. Um, use coupon code SHOPTALK for a $100 discount, which is pretty sweet. And there's tons of people. We'll tell you more about that later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off.
1: Hello and welcome to the 90th episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, kind of about front-end design development, but mostly about sound effects. I'm Dave Rupert and with me is Chris Coyer.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. It is indeed a sound effects podcast. We didn't warn uh, our guest this week. We have Pamela Fox. Thanks for joining us. Pamela. Hi. (laughs) So that's an example of one. There'll be more. Awesome.
1: (laughs) There's more. There's always more.
0: We just were talking a little bit before the show. You guys should tune in early for these things, because you get the pre-show awesomeness. Uh, Pamela works for Khan Academy. Is that right?
2: Yes, that is correct.
0: <laughs> cool, and it's been—it's been—it's newish for you.
2: Um, yeah, I just joined Khan Academy about three months ago. Um, I, previously, I was at Coursera, uh, working as a front-end engineer there. Uh, and at Khan Academy, I do like—I um, basically work on the programming curriculum, and that's fifty percent creating the curriculum and 50% creating the platform that delivers the curriculum. So it's a fun mix of teaching and
0: coding. Oh, nice. You get to teach and build the tools to teach.
2: Or yes, something. exactly. Which I think is really, really fun.
0: And you, and, and I didn't know about Coursera, but the, so Khan Academy. I mean, they are they competitors kind of, or not really, or, cause Khan Academy is free, right? Isn't that mm-hmm. kind of one of the big things about it?
2: Um, yeah. Khan Academy is free. It will always be free. Coursera is actually currently free um, for most of it as well. Uh, but I would have to say right now they're complementary because Khan Academy, for the most part, focuses on K-12 education, um, you know, oh. your common core math and beginning programming, whereas Coursera, it's university-level courses. So things you'd learn in university and some of the things are really quite niche, like volcanic eruptions, um, You know, a whole 10 week course on volcanic eruptions. It's going to be a while. 10
0: week course on volcanic eruptions. Uh, Yeah.
2: My, my mom actually took it. Um, (laughs) she said, wow. She said it was quite useful because she was, she was analyzing volcanic eruption data at the time and she wanted a better grasp of it. So that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of very specific topics that are covered by researchers. Um, and that's the kind of thing you, you can get from something like, like Coursera. Um, whereas in Khan Academy, is, you know, that's where you're going for the stuff everybody needs to learn.
0: But even if you're not K through 12, if you just have never programmed before Mm -hmm. and you're 32, you might get something out of it, right?
2: Yeah. No. So we definitely, you know, I I don't have our actual demographic ages yet. So we definitely have people that come in are are lifelong learners. Um, We have people that come in like parents and kids at a time. Maybe they're homeschooling or they just decided to learn programming together. And I think that's really cute. And then we have people that like see the Khan Academy shows on CNN and then they're like 75 years old and they're like, this is cool. I'm learning a program at 75. I was like, yeah, that is, that is really
0: cool. Nice. Do you, I mean, there's ads that people could see that's how they might arrive at COD Academy. It's because of t- TV ads.
2: Um, there's that, there's, there was also a magazine in Costco and you know, a lot of people like Costco.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so does it, did it come from some, you know, some ben- benefactors that people donate to it? How does it be a business?
2: Uh Khan Academy is a for profit. So it's got a lot of great donors that believe in the mission and that, you know, keep us going. Oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. I see Khan Academy commercials on my Hulu.
2: Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I guess I should watch more TV or any TV.
1: Well, that's so probably not. not. <laughs> that's why you're like smart, smart and you wear Khan Academy <laughs> 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 It's probably due to your lack of TV. So. That's
0: pretty mm. neat. I'm just learning. I, I didn't even realize it was free. I gotta, it's got to get on board.
1: It's got a super cool story too, right? Like Khan, Con, Con, the like founder, he like yeah. was making like videos for his cousins mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. And then he was like teaching them like calc. Oh, uh, I vaguely remember <laughs> yes. that.
2: Yes. And then, and then he's just he started putting them on YouTube because that was pretty much the place where you put stuff. And that's actually why the videos are so short because YouTube back then had that 10-minute – upload limit really yeah and that's that's actually as it turns out that is the perfect limit for teaching because according to all this research the 10 minute point is basically the point at which everybody gets bored um you know you just can't help it that's just the brain is like all right it's been 10 minutes i'm done now um so it's actually really convenient uh to and i try and get them actually even shorter for the programming lessons uh luckily there was a bug in chrome where because we use get user media to record them and, uh, then we like use this web worker to turn them into waves and blah, blah, blah. So there's a bug in Chrome where after five minutes and 30 seconds, it would just completely bug out and not be able to save the wave. And I was like, well, that's perfect because it's forcing me to do shorter lessons, which everybody's going to appreciate. So, okay. Yay, Chrome. bugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was-
1: that's what I call like a uh, bug driven business decisions, <laughs> which is my new, a book apart title.
2: <laughs> nice <laughs> I
0: like that but but it is true I mean if we really wanted people to actually listen to shop talk show we would probably <laughs> cut it in half fortunately we're we're an hour long thing because we like talking to people so well, that's just the
1: case I was digging around our stats Chris we're coming up well we're at 90 episodes and we're coming up I think on like a million listens total overall oh, come
0: on How, yeah. is, there, is there gotta be a sound effect for that
1: <laughs> uh, let's see hold on Let's see. Um, bandwidth, Bill says. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's quite. Excellent. Dang. And. Dang. And Good. interesting fact, uh, my monitor just crapped out on me.
0: <laughs> you can't so see. I'm having you're technical
1: difficulty So if I mess up the show, I apologize. But I got this.
0: Just don't stop recording, Dave. No, just no. It
1: recording. happened like one minute in. Into the show, and so oh, I'm so dealing with this. We'll figure it out. Bear with us, listener. So. so,
0: other than work, Pamela, you you have you know there you have a bunch of open source stuff on GitHub, and you have a website where you blog. It looks like you were in Guatemala recently. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, Guatemala was really cool to to actually. They're trying to it's interesting in Guatemala. Um, they're they're, they're trying to learn from the valleys. So some of the like, the top Guatemalan developers will go. They'll go to Google I/O each year. They'll go to JSConf. Um, and then they'll kind of look at the whole ecosystem that we have here and they'll see what's hot and what people are, are you know, what sort of things people are doing. And then they come back to Guatemala and see how can they bring that, you know, what they've learned about the you know, the Silicon Valley um, ecosystem to Guatemala. Um, so right now they're doing a lot of hardware hacking. You know, that's very big now. And they're also trying to encourage more mobile and startups and all that stuff.
0: Nice. So, I mean, how did you end up there? Was there a conference that you went down for? Did you just have a hankering to go there?
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, they they have a conference at the Galileo uh, Technical University, which is like one of their big engineering universities. And they just invited me to come down and give some talks on, uh, we did a workshop on backbone, a talk on social learning, and a talk on um, engineering culture.
0: Wow! They're like, "Will you come down and give three talks?"
2: That's pretty much what happens when you go to foreign countries because they're like, "Wow, you're in the country. We're gonna make yeah. sure that we hear, have you say everything you could possibly say to us." As we
1: <laughs> it costs a fortune to get you here. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: I I recommend going to Guatemala because it turns out Guatemala is just underneath Mexico, um, so it's actually not that far. At least for me, I'm in California,
1: um, mm-hmm. so
2: I'm I'm happy to go. You know, anywhere from Mexico down to the tip of South America is actually not that far. It's actually closer than New York city. So,
1: Oh, Oh, interesting. Guatemala is a popular destination for Texans. I can say that. Cause it's, it's like, like, it's simple. It's like two hour flight or something, mm. like two
2: or something. Yeah, that's true. I did fly from Texas. That's a good point. Bad, Not too
1: bad.
0: All right. We're going to get into the meat and potatoes of shop talk show very soon here. Cause we can, uh, we have a bunch of questions queued up, of course, but we have a couple of links we thought I'd mention. Uh, Brad Tausnard, who is um, the creator of WPDB Migrate, which we've mentioned a bunch of times just because it's a very common question we get on shop talk is how do you keep like a local database in a in a room, in a, in your your deployed wordpress sites like in sync content wise and it's a really good plugin for doing that uh, not an official sponsor this week but he's putting on a conference too called big snow tiny conf So the the website is actually a Google Doc (laughs) (laughs) because I think it's a little bootstrapped, which is at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash big snow tiny conf. I told him I'd mention it because they've been a good sponsor of the show and he's a nice guy. So check out that if you want to go to a very small conference but do a mostly skiing and snowboarding and stuff, which sounds awesome to me. And I plan to learn how to do that this year
1: because that sounds fun. And I was – I wanted to share – An inspirational deck that's been making the rounds, uh, automating workflow by Adi Asmani. It's he just put it on speaker deck this week, I think. But uh, it's a, it's just a, I don't know how you should be doing your job kind of (laughs) deck, and it's it's really good. But man, it's I I think you said it, Chris, on Twitter. It's like overwhelming, like all the things we can get into. We I wonder
0: where. He, I mean, was this an all-day workshop or? Oh, it said keynote from FOA 2013. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's literally 236 slides, and every slide. You know, there isn't a slide, one slide that's like, and this is an ID selector. It's all about tooling, and holy cow, is tooling a big topic. You know, just from. I, I don't even want to start listing them off because I wouldn't do it justice. But it's like you should click through the deck. It's like. It's almost like exciting and wow! Look at all this cool stuff, and also like head sinking. Like oh my god, I don't, <laughs> I don't know half of these things. You know, makes you sad and happy.
1: Are you on the uh, Yo Grunt Bauer tip, Pamela?
2: Uh, so at Khan Academy, I mean the thing is that if, you know we at Khan Academy, it's they started coming up with their package system before there was all these package systems. So we have. We have our own package system, which has some benefits, but I think that a lot of people want to move over to, you know, one of the like require JS um, to do that instead. Um, but the thing is, I guess one of the big things that we do is internationalization, and that's something we've worked into our workflow. Um, and uh, and it's it's hard um, because you have to internationalize. Things everywhere. So, things in, you know, strings in your JavaScript, uh, strings in your HTML, strings in your handlebar templates. Um, and that's something that is currently working with our tool chain. And, uh, you know, any time we switch tools, that's a, that's a big thing that has to be taken into account. And then, of course, like testing and stuff like that. So, it's a big thing to switch tools, but I think it probably is something that will happen as well.
1: Yeah. And it's worth, I don't know if we mentioned it, but you work with like John Rezig creator of jQuery at Khan Academy. So
2: yeah. Um you guys and,
1: it's not filled with dummies over there. It's, no. <laughs> it's, it's pretty pretty good stack. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah. John and John actually he he worked on a lot of the internationalization last year. He he decided to he wanted to see what it was like to internationalize a site. And I think that was one of the main things he worked on last year. Because it is hard. And I, I feel like there aren't many people talking about the tools for that. And now that I've seen it at Khan Academy, I was like, why why aren't there more people just baking this into like every tool um, that's used out there? Because I just imagine that every site that's trying to internationalize is figuring it out mostly themselves, which just seems kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, it's like it, from a JavaScript angle, it's like notoriously hard, right? Because there's all this string manipulation and stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: So, and it's hard to like just from like PHP and stuff that too, but. JavaScript seems like super hard.
2: Right. But then yeah, and the thing is that you're gonna have strings in your front front end in your server, in even your data store. Um so you need a uh you need ways to work with all the strings. Or even on you know, on transcripts of your videos, there's there's strings everywhere. There's we should just stop using language and we're gonna be it's gonna be so much easier to be developers.
1: <laughs> That's good. No more no more strings, <laughs> just I don't know elements that output text appropriately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. Awesome. Well, cool. Uh, That's all I had. I think it's worth, everyone should like look through it and uh, people in the chat room, that deck that Addy shared and like there's yeah, there's so much in there. I think you just start glazing over at some point, but it's, it's like super good to know that all these things exist because you could probably like 10 X yourself. If you did all those things. I don't know. 10x comp. Anyway, let's
0: get into some questions. And actually, I think we'll, we'll circle down to that a little bit just because one of these questions is, I don't know, it touches on a little bit. But first we have one from Dan Parker. Dan Parker says, I'm sold on Git. And I have used it locally on my machine. However, paying for a deployment service like Beanstalk isn't an option for me at the moment. How do I go about deployment without paying for a service? So I thought this was an excuse for us to talk about deployment a little bit. How do you do? Do you guys have a homegrown solution? Uh, how I mean, how, how have you approached deployment in the past, uh, So uh,
2: Khan Academy, the way deployment works is well, Khan Academy actually runs on Google App Engine. Um, so that just means uploading our code to google servers and then you know they magically do all the crazy scaling stuff and awesome um so we just have to you know we just have to have the script that you know goes through does all the the getting all the internationalization languages does all you know the obvious javascript manipulation blah 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 um and and then you know that gets deployed to app engine so there the app engine deployment is Technically, it's actually pretty easy. That's one of the cool things about App Engine. Um, but I think there's probably some work we can do to get our to get the de- the whole process down. Um, the pre-deploy process, you know, running the tests and stuff. But the actual deploy is easy. Um, for Coursera, it was very different. Coursera runs on Amazon uh, EC2 instances, um, so there at first deployment was really hard, and it took an hour. And if we if we screwed up, you know, one thing. It would take an hour to roll back. So instead, we would SSH into each of the servers and individually change the line of code that we screwed up, which was Whoa. horrible. <laughs> yeah. So we just we realized that we needed um, we needed a much better def- deploy process. Um, so the the infrastructure team, you know, they just made it a big project that they worked on because they realized it's worth it. Because having fast deploy is really important. Um, so they figured out a way that they could do. bake an AMI, and then it'd be really fast to just distribute that AMI to all the instances. And then once they worked out that process, um, it was just like uh, each deploy took about five minutes, which for me was just amazing. I would deploy, you know, five or ten times a day um, to the point where, uh, I don't know, my ex was making fun of me for how much I deployed and started nicknaming me based on how much I deployed. But when you can (laughs) can deploy that much, you know, why not?
1: Deployerson? Uh, well,
2: I mean, my Wi-Fi network is still called Don't Stop Deploying. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had that sound effect.
1: That would be- uh, Mine's why I believe I can fly.
2: Deploying it. But it, I mean, it's, it's really important to get a good deploy process because then ideally, like everybody can deploy their own stuff. They don't have to worry when they're deploying that they have to check other people's stuff. So I, I think that's a, that's a big thing that um, we'll be working on now.
0: Sweet. So, uh, Dan's question was about paid stuff. So, I'm kind of looking at Google App Engine. It doesn't even look, I thought it, there was some portion of it that you could try for free, but it doesn't, it looks like most of it is kind of a paid service. So, let's say if, if Dan's just working on his local projects and wants to, and he just has like an FTP, you know, a server that he can FTP into somewhere, has, do we, is there anything we can tell him on how to get deployment going for free?
2: Um, I, I still actually do deploy a lot of my App Engine projects for free. Um, there is a free amount of quota, so if it's just okay. to see how it works. But of course, then that means it has to work on App Engine, so that's that's a massive number of constraints. Um, so what are the? I mean, the other the other ways are just a, a web server, right? So I think speech dot net is a pretty cheap one that people seem to like. Um, I don't know what I don't know what web servers you guys like.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, it depends on what you're using. I, he says beanstalk. That makes me think he's on WordPress just because it that works pretty well. But if you're doing like static HTML, shoot, man, uh, GitHub pages is my jam there. And, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind it being open source, I guess, um, but then Heroku is good too. You just like, It takes a little bit of knowledge, like a little bit of wherewithal to get that up and going, but it's really not that much. I think you can install a binary now, and then you just say git push Heroku, and it's like, boom, up there.
2: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: There's lots of different ways. I have an article about deployment that oh, I could I could send to Dan that just has some options in there. One of them being like install Git on your server and then Git pull from there. You know, that's kind mm. of like a way to suck those files over. That doesn't do everything that you need because it doesn't have a build step kind of thing, which you might want or whatever. But that's a start. Uh, uh,
1: people so, are still talking about FTploy, which is like
0: it's a Beanstalk competitor, kind of.
1: Yeah, or it's it's like a. You push to GitHub and then it FTP. Yeah, it just works. It happens
0: to work with GitHub. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I've heard a little bit about um, that. It's not as super reliable as Beanstalk is, which is like Beanstalk's been around for absolutely ever, and they're not flashy and they never have new features, but it always works. <laughs>
1: which so, maybe that's worth paying for. So, yeah, indeed. I mean, how much? do you, Sorry, <laughs> how much is Beanstalk? Is it? I don't even know. It's tens not that of much. dollars. I don't even
0: think about it. Yeah, it's tens of
1: dollars. I think you could probably pass that on, you know, that's your hobby budget for the year, yeah. you know, and it's probably just going to,
0: I think I'm on the very lowest plan still. Maybe not, maybe I'm on silver, but I'm definitely not on gold. It's goes 15, 25, 50, you know, it's like super normal SAS looking prep.
1: Those CSS tricks is bronze. Probably. Yeah. Goodness gracious. That's. Well, you I mean, what you need
0: is when you need a bunch of repos is the is the number one thing. You know, if you need if you need have more than ten repositories, which you know is yeah. you know, yeah. I oh, think this, it's a very fair service.
1: Anyway, this is, is that just enough? turning into like a uh, like how much money is your headache worth <laughs> <laughs> question for me. You know, I, I'm just like I I maybe I'm getting older, and that's the thing is I'm just like I will just pay money. Yeah, just pay
2: for it. Yeah. I, and Sometimes we're just there. like, we're not willing to pay money for things. And so I try to remind people, like, you know, remember there are developers that are making the things that you're trying to avoid paying money for. So you should give them something.
1: I donated to Sublime Linter on mm. Sublime Text 3 because it doesn't quite work yet. But because um, I was like, sure, they want to raise like $2,000 or something. It was like, 20 bucks, sure. If it makes my code better.
2: Yeah, I mean that's one of those tools that basically I just think that you shouldn't be using Sublime Text without that tool Um, and it's one of those tools that saves you so much time because you're going to catch your errors before you go to the browser Um, and pretty much I think everyone should have that installed so we should just all pay for it too. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There should always be a paid version. Anyhow.
0: From the chat room, get FTP, Dandelion, rsync... Salt stack. There's so many choices. So yeah, let's move on. We have an we have one from you do it, Dave.
1: Ignacio Chavez writes in what is your preferred UI and backend workflow, if at all, when developing web apps for clients, do you use pre-made libraries or do you develop your own UI and backend, et cetera?
0: I put this in here because I thought what we could do is just go around in a circle and be like, let's say you have like some little, let's say you have all the time in the world and you have a little web app that you want to build. What would be like, just what are you like, your, what's your favorite stack look like today? You know, are you like way into Python right now or I don't know. I just thought that might be fun. What's yeah. your favorite language, Pamela? Your, your, uh, your f-
2: I mean, yeah, I tend to use Python in the back end and JavaScript on the front end. I I would, you know, what I would be a fan of using JavaScript everywhere if if um, if if I thought that that was something that I could reasonably run. I honestly, I don't have any uh, experience running Node.js servers, and that seems to be the main way to have JavaScript on the back end. But from a cognitive perspective. I would be happy to just use one language so that I'm not constantly switching my brain between the two. But Python is, you know, it's a pretty um, easy language to switch into. Um, I just Mm -hmm. get, I guess, I just get confused sometimes or it's like, ah, like just it's basically like the difference between Spanish and Portuguese where you're like, oh, they're so similar and there's just a few things that are different um, and your brain just gets caught up on them. But
0: yeah, so I, I, I basically. You can speak both of those too? That's uh kind awesome. of, yeah. I know enough about <laughs> as them? much okay. as like. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> uh
2: so that's what I tend to use myself mm-hmm. um but that doesn't mean they're the best things. it's just the things that I'm the most familiar with so for other do you, people just
0: then do you use like a python MVc thing on top of it too then
2: for python Jango. we uh, I tend to use flask and that's what we use at Khan Academy too so flask is the is the rather lightweight um uh framework. The like kinda you know the more, most lightweight framework that you can use on top of Python for a web app.
0: Uh, is it like Sinatra?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like Flask Sinatra versus uh, Rails Django. That's kind of the the light and the heavy of, of those two. Oh uh, okay, cool. So
0: so JavaScript front end and Python flask back end. What is your favorite Dave? If you just had to like, if you're going to make a little web app for fun, what is like, what you like, you feel most comfortable in or your favorite right now or whatever.
1: Uh, Okay. I can go. I have another question for Pamela, but, uh, Oh, sorry. You're going to do that first. Well, so Pamela, you're kind of big into the like uh, kind of async front end, right? Or the, the MVC kind of front ends, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What's your, what's your preferred, Mm. MVC there?
2: Uh, So at Coursera, we use Backbone and um, we we managed to get our Backbone code pretty clean, pretty consistent. I got to rather liking it. Uh, At Khan Academy, we're in the middle of transitioning from Backbone to React, um, but React for the views with Backbone models backing them. um, Because I guess, uh, I, some of my colleagues have been experimenting and they just really, really like the data binding of react. Um, and they're just finding it, solving a lot of problems for them that they're having with backbone views. So mm. right now I'm kind of avoiding writing any new front-end <laughs> code like that because, uh, I need to, I need to learn, um, I need to learn a new thing and, you know, scary learning a new things. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it soon. Just haven't yet.
1: Cool. Uh, Okay, I can go. I so I bu- used to build things in Cake PHP, like big apps, like uh, for clients. I would never do that again for for a client. I don't think, <laughs> just because I don't know, like a three man web shop maintaining an app, like custom app for a client mm-hmm. seems very dangerous. And you like, would
0: you feel the same way about any of the other ones too, Laravel and whatever?
1: Yeah, Laravel looks pretty good. I mean, if I had to, or or, or if it's a simple like whatever. Five three to five model app or something like I'm using database models or whatever like controllers or whatever mm-hmm. it's just that yeah maybe I could do that in Laravel. Laravel is kind of the hotness right now um, uh, I would also maybe see what I could do in something like craft CMS um, for the reason kind of what Pamela was talking about is it has internationalization baked in from the into the CMS like that's very mm-hmm. cool to me um, cause I've tried to like take a CMS or an e-commerce site and add internationalization and it's just terrible. <laughs> it's just, it's all, well, it's fine and it, it gets working, but it's just all kinds of hurt. I don't know. It's just, you got to do it from the beginning, I think. And then, um, and then front end, I don't, I've been, I don't know. I, somebody asked me this question and I'm very into Angular just seeing what I can do with that if I was just getting data and and spitting it out um but I like ember because ember seems to have a pretty good parity with rails and stuff like that so and that's probably Yehuda Katz's fault but it's um I don't know that just seems very interesting to me too because I might I would want to write it in node but I'd end up writing it in rails probably now too so uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm in the same place. I'd like to do JavaScript only just so I could not know another language like PHP or Rails or Ruby, but I don't know. So, I just don't feel comfortable like shipping it or giving it to a client. I don't know.
0: It sounds like Ignacio. We have some, you know, it's kind of up in the air at the moment. I mean, there's, there's, even though we have some favorites here, it's not like uh it's not like locked in, you know, it's not, it's people are like, I should be trying this or I'm aware of that. And that looks cool too. And you know, it's kind of a weird time right now. People aren't just like rails, duh.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think the problem is that there isn't a right answer and everybody keeps just wanting to know what the answer is. And it, it, it's not, you're just going to have to try something and figure out what's works for you. And sometimes you just, you use something because you you're already using it and it's good enough. And sometimes eventually it's not good enough anymore and you have to switch. And figuring out, you know, what that time is, that's that's kind of the really hard part of all this software engineering stuff.
1: It's inter- like all the guys I know who did like big Ruby apps or whatever, they're now like moving over to JRuby, which is like Java-based Ruby, Ruby or whatever on the JVM. So ah, that's just crazy. I don't know. So even if you choose Rails, in five years when you hit web scale, you might have to be over doing JRuby. Weird. Anyway, that's all. I think Chris, what would you do? You never uh, I know.
0: I know, but I don't I just I'm such a not good back-end developer that I don't, I don't I
1: What? So what did your guys do on CodePen?
0: It's, well, that's it started as Sinatra and then quickly moved to Rails. And I I, I like Rails. I am enjoying it just because I feel powerful in Rails because I so whatever what I really like is routing and controllers and helpers. Like I get all that now, finally, and I like it, and I can be productive in it. So whatever I would pick would need to be MVC on the back end for sure, right? I I need to be able to make a new route, and kind of decide which templates it's going to use and stuff. But I heard that P, you know the PHP frameworks have that now. There is like a routing layer in mm-hmm. I don't know if it's Laravel or what, but I've you know I've heard that some PHP frameworks have that. So if that was the case, that would be fine with me. I don't know what i want is for the people i'm working with to feel super productive so whatever that is <laughs> would be fine with me and the, you know and i do i am very interested in backbone and stuff and i still to this day have yet to make a a front end mvc real run at it so one of these days uh- <laughs> Indeed. So let's do a sponsor quick. We have Harvest as a sponsor again, who have sponsored before. Welcome back, Harvest. Their URL is githarvest.com. It's all about time tracking. So the meat and potatoes of Harvest is, 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 uh, it's tracking your time and what you're doing and when. So, and they try to make it as easy and hands off as possible. There's a web app for it of course, there's iOS apps, there's uh Mac apps for it. So it kind of you know, wherever you're most comfortable doing that kind of thing is cool. I, I would use the Mac app if I was going to do it because it has some kind of cool features in it. Like it knows if you've been idle kind of. So I kind of like that. If you like check in to work on a job and then you like get up and go to lunch and forget about it, you can come back and be like, oh, I see that you were idle during this time. Were you like off whiteboarding something for the client? If so, then apply that time to the client or were you like going to have a drink or something at noon, then subtract that time from the client. It does (laughs) smart stuff. It's pretty good. Uh and then and then if you are applying it to a client then you can then you know how much time you've spent for that client and you can invoice right from Harvest from them which is cool. And you can track your expenses in Harvest. So it's kind of this like financing time tracking full thing tool for your for your business and it's and it's pretty sweet. And I like that the, it syncs across all the apps and you know it's just kind of well-made software for for time tracking and invoicing and expense tracking and all that stuff. So get
1: harvest.com. Awesome. All right, next question comes from Bryce Johnson. I'm an ad copywriter looking to make the switch to front-end development. I've been learning by night for about six months now and reached a point where I feel comfortable enough with HTML, CSS, and jQuery to hack together most websites I see on the web. Uh, I think good. I'm ready to start looking for my first job. Problem is, almost everything I see on Indeed.com or any other job site requires a fair amount of experience more than I have often in technologies that haven't used. Do you have any tips on finding work that requires less formal experience? Pretty good question.
2: Yeah, I, I am. I, um, I guess I would, I would worry about the statement that he now, he, he thinks that he can make most of the websites on the web. I, I guess I, I think that that's discounting a lot of the work that people have done on the websites on the web. Um, maybe it's, you know, the static websites. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I, This is a really hard question. This is something that people deal with a lot in, um, at the coding academies in the valley where people are learning to program from scratch in 12 weeks and, you know, getting jobs as programmers afterwards. And, you know, how do they prove that they are programmers? Um, you know, they're doing it through these coding academies, which gives them, you know, some amount of recognition there and their, their academies work with people. But, um, I do get this question a lot because there's a lot of people in the valley that are are doing something really similar to what this guy is doing um and you know some of the things i like to say is that you know one thing you should be doing is getting involved in open source you should have you should have a github repository it should have examples of your work on it um another thing you should be doing is trying to make actual apps i mean you can you can learn and you can do demos but until you spend you know a couple of weeks a month a year that's what i did Uh, on a on a full app that you know you got to get into the the dirty bits of development to really really learn it well um so i think actually setting your mind to something um and uh and really going into it um and then there's also participating in hackathons hackathons are a great way to quickly expose yourself to a lot of the libraries and tools that other people are working with because you're going to be forced to you know, on your team, you're gonna use a little bit of what you know, and then a little. Bit how does
0: how does that go down? You show up at a hackathon. Could you, I mean, how did, tell, I mean, you've done it before. Yeah, I mean, I, how, how was how did one happen that you went to? Do you just like show up with and somebody tells you what to build and you build it? Or?
2: Normally, you show up at a hackathon and there's a team forming period, and people will do pitches, and you'll say, "Oh, that sounds interesting," and maybe you'll you'll listen to what the team is looking for. Are they looking for a front end person? Okay, that's what he says he's more experienced uh, in. He goes and joins that team and they'll say, all right, we're going to use a rail stack." So he's going to then learn, um, you know, during hackathons is when I get, got exposed to the widest range of technology. So you, he's, he'll be forced to install rails and learn how to do that. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then you just build it.
2: Yeah. So I, w- I mean, some hackathons are much more about competition. Other hackathons are more about learning. So I would go to the ones that are more, um, more learning focused. Um, and yeah, I just you know just getting outside of just um the, you know what he's you know it's great to to start learning with all these online resources, but then you actually need to start doing um and doing as an open source uh, somebody suggested here finding a local charity or nonprofit or artist to work with uh, you know and it could be somebody in your family you know just make something make something real and force real, your, yeah. force yourself to experience real, real problems:
1: That's good. I think real websites, yeah. Mm. Like I was, th- there's like startup weekends, and maybe those are not the ones you're kind of talking about, Pamela. But like, you know, that's like try to start a business in a weekend with two strangers or whatever, <laughs> like a small team. I mean, that's it's an interesting deal. I mean, and and I feel like a those sites are always terrible because <laughs> they don't really have a front ender. <laughs> I'm a horrible human being right now, but um but they're usually like pretty, pretty heinous. So, um, if you can do all this stuff, you're going to be like freaking what, what the like golden child. So you should go do that. Yeah. The,
2: so the hackathons, I actually did do a startup weekend and, and it was one of those places where I, um, I forget. Oh, I learned Mercurial during that one. But, uh, the, so the hackathons are great just to like, just throw you into something and see how do you deal with this learning very quickly, um, under pressure. Cause uh, that's another thing we do in web development. We're we're not just we don't just learn stuff and we know it. We have to be really good at learning all the time because we're, there's something new for us to learn every week. Um, so learning how to learn and learn kind of fast is is also this really good skill and and that's what hackathons can practice. So you know just I I think a mix of open source and GitHub and hackathons and real um, in depth projects that, those are all ways to build up um, yourself as a developer.
1: Awesome. Okay. Shall we go to the next question, mr Chris? Sure. Here sure. we go. Uh I'll read it. It's got a name. So uh Ian Desjardines writes in, uh, uh hey guys, I'm new to design and I'm looking to master quote unquote web design. Uh or design, just design. However, I've recently discovered the magic behind Bootstrap. I've chosen a good theme of my liking, but I'm having trouble implementing it into my Rails app. I'm on Rails 3.2, but can't seem to figure out a good tutorial or method for importing that theme into the asset pipeline, etc. way anyway, you can give me just a couple of steps to start. Thanks a ton. Love the show. This is pretty specific about Rails and Bootstrap.
0: Well, Ian just wants so. to use Bootstrap on his Rails site, and he can't figure out how to do
1: it, right? Is that... I think so. So, any tips, Pamela?
2: I don't not Railser. <laughs> I would just it, Google for Rails Bootstrap and see. Okay, there's a GitHub thing. I'm just gonna follow it. Um,
1: it, it it's been done. It's done about 700 times a day, <laughs> I think. So I think the big problem is Bootstrap by default is less, right? So unless you output like a and Rails by default has chosen Sass, so you're gonna have to figure that out, right?
0: Um, yeah, well, there's a SAS port, so you could pick that, or you could just use the CSS, the whole the whole thing. I mean, a lot of people do that because a lot of times when you're using Bootstrap, you're just build some building some kind of internal tool or whatever, and you're not super duper duper concerned about performance. So you can just take the entire Bootstrap CSS file and just dump it in there, and it's fine. So on Rails, you put it in the assets folder and whatever, and then you end up in Rails linking to it through with the like style sheet tag call or whatever it is i'm sure dave knows what it is you know yeah
2: I mean? they've also uh. um you're saying like oh you can just grab all the css you can also on get bootstrap.com slash customize you can also just click off which ones which
0: part oh, they have a builder
2: yeah they have a builder now so nice. you could you could just do your custom css so really the only reason to the only reason to bring in Bootstrap in the LESS format or in the SAS format is if you want to use those mixins, um, which means you're, you know, you're fairly advanced, um, which, you know, I think it's a really cool thing to do is to extend the mixins and use the mixins. But if you're just, you know, writing, writing other classes um, kind of unrelated to them, then you might as well just do a little custom build of Bootstrap and just put it in your static file.
0: Yep. Yep. All good advice. I, I, I kind of also secretly put this in here because I, I heard you do a talk, Pamela, on Bootstrap one time about kind of how Bootstrap bit you or something. So I thought it might be a nice little segue into that if you feel like talking about it or if you don't.
2: Yeah. So that, that talk is rather dramatically named. It's called When Bootstrap Attacks. Um, right. There we go. I knew there was going to be. All right. Sweet. So that was, that was about my experience with porting um, the Coursera legacy code base from Bootstrap uh, 1 to Bootstrap 2. And just about how hard it was to do, both because of the way Bootstrap was designed with these like tiny, tiny, tiny class names, um, like label and alert. And, and with the fact that the way, you know, the PHP code base was designed where the CSS classes were in every possible type of file. They'd be in PHP files, obviously, and then in CSS files. So I would end up grepping across the entire Coursera code base for label, which is, really um you know a very ambiguous <laughs> thing to grep for in a code base like
0: oh, I so two thousand seven hundred and fourteen results
2: um so I really I do um so after that like you know I basically started realizing that you have to be really careful with the way you use these CSS frameworks if you want your if you want your websites to be maintainable um, so I tend to use the CSS frameworks that come with namespacing from the get go uh, you know like if it would be like Bootstrap dash alert. Um, you know, that would be nicer. Um, but then I also started trying to not actually use Bootstrap classes themselves in our code base, and extend instead. I would extend the Bootstrap classes into uh, like dot Coursera dash button, um, and then and that meant that theoretically, because I think what would be cool is that if if you realize that you wanted to move from Bootstrap to Top Code or you know one of these other frameworks, you should just be able to swap out you know, the kind of the things behind, like mixins. And then you just have, you know, if you imagine this Coursera button class, Coursera button maybe at first it extended the Bootstrap button class and then you go and swap in this other thing mm-hmm. and it ex- extends the Topco button class. So
0: your classes stay the same. So your markup theorem yeah. stays
2: the same. So that that seems to me like the kind of the ideal is if your if your CSS um mm-hmm. it doesn't have this massive uh, assumption that it's using Bootstrap for everything. Because this is this is what I see is this I think that, you know, two years from now, there's going to be tons of people that are looking at code going, oh, man, why did it assume so many, so much bootstrap and trying to strip it out because they maybe they realize they want to they want to use a new a new framework
0: yeah hopefully these frameworks have some like you know if you think of like the classic example of like a button or something, well, sure that there's no there's probably no child elements to that. so dot button, you can extend the Twitter bootstrap form or the top quote one and it's fine probably. hopefully that hopefully that that persists even to elements that clearly have children, though, like a like a dialogue box or tabs or something. hopefully the I mean the HTML structure would need to be the same too, right?
1: I mean, hopefully that doesn't. Yeah, YouTube. Twitter or Bootstrap, like the modals, like you have to have certain markup.
2: Yeah, they, there's still certain class names. So there's modal and then modal, modal header, modal body, modal footer. Um, so you can imagine that you could you could uh, extend those as well. Um, so I only just started sure. going down that route, but that to me it it feels like the the ideal because otherwise you just you have this dependency um, on something, and you know the day when you want to. About that, depending. So it's all—it's all a balance, right? Because making a layer on top of these tools that we use, making a layer takes time, um, and you know. uh, But on the other hand, if you do make a layer, then it should theoretically be easier to swap out the underlying tools. So just kind of have to figure out what's what to do.
1: Very good. That's cool. That's a really cool approach. Kind of the first time I've ever like considered it too. (laughs) I'm just like, God, that's smart. Cause, they, Cause, yeah, like you're basically really giving is. yourself an exit strategy, you mm-hmm. know. And
0: I, I kind of like that. I don't know. You can, you can use classes just like you would write classes. Like whatever is your perfect class naming scenario, that's Banana. what you do. That's got to feel good, right? And then it just extends something that it doesn't matter how gnarly the thing, other thing is that you're extending. Yeah. It could be as unsemantic as possible. It doesn't even matter because whatever is what's gets exposed and what you use is whatever the perfect thing that you like is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yay. Okay. JS Summit. JS Summit.com redirects to environmentsforhumans.com slash 2013 slash JavaScript Summit. This might be their, their biggest one. It's, I don't know. It's kind of the one I get the most excited about possibly. So environment for humans does a lot of these online conferences. So you can attend it from anywhere in the world and they're a little less expensive than, than in-person conferences because there's less overhead for them. You know, you can attend it all by yourself at home. You can uh, get your whole business to do it and kind of of, you know, t- you know, gonna. I don't know, maybe get a room at your business and set a couch in there and kind of get your whole team to go for a lot less expensive than it would be to buy plane tickets and all that stuff. So, uh, and still with the kind of the best of the best speakers, you know, they get really good people to come and talk about this. Three days all day long, they're going to be uh, having speakers talk about different JavaScript things. I just looked at the second talk on the first day here is Jen Kramer talking about Bootstrap versus Foundation. So, if you enjoyed our last conversation about Bootstrap and want to hear more on how it relates, to JavaScript, probably, that's going to be happening at the JavaScript Summit. So use Shop Talk for 20% off any type of ticket you want to buy. So if it's like, I just want to go for day one, I want to go for all of it, I want to go for these other two days, whatever. So you know, Rebecca Murphy, Ben Allman, Estelle Weill, Val Head, Scott Gonzalez, a lot of great people here, a lot of people that have been on the show before, so... Uh check it out. It's pretty cool. I'll be hopefully hanging out in the in the chat room for it. I really like their their JavaScript Summit. So, thanks for Environments for Humans for sponsoring and we'll see you there November 19th, 20th, 21st. Awesome. Yep. We got one here from Lee Kendall. Lee Kendall asks, "I'm looking at getting into mobile first and I'm not sure where to begin." Do I start with a media query for the smallest size, something like min width zero? <laughs> or do I just start writing CSS without a media query for the smallest size until I get to a point where I'd like another breakpoint, and then add it? Uh, I'm not really concerned about IE8 and stuff. So what, what's the deal? How do, is, that, is, is that the right way to
2: approach it?
1: I don't know. Do you PM, uh, do you do any mobile firsty responsive
2: design? <laughs> do we responsively design? No, we're incredible. No, um, I it's not something that uh that I personally work on now. I know that our our um, our mobile uh, people think about that and they're trying to get. I mean, it's it's hard um to get something like um of you know Khan Academy looking really good on a tiny screen because. It, the it kind of the stuff you're doing, and but some of the stuff you're doing on there is like really intensive, right? It's like okay, I have this graph paper which is showing this chart, and I'm going to drag some derivatives uh, around and then do some calculation. It's a lot of stuff to do on a small screen, but they 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 have done um, they have done various things about you know using media queries to resize it. Um, so I would probably you know I guess I Google things too much, but I would probably Google and I find a book called Mobile First and it looks kind of nice, um, and you know see what people think is the right approach. Um, and the second link you'll find is mobile first, why it's great and why it sucks. So that sounds like a nice balanced <laughs> article. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you you know, once again, you, you see what other people have done and you, you, uh, you try it out. Um, yeah. I, think, I, I think I've never started on something that was mobile first. I think I've always started desktop first. So haven't experienced that.
0: Fair. I like the I like the uh, the idea of, of learning before you start. A good answer for somebody who's a professional learning advocate. <laughs> what do you do, Dave? Is that is that the right is is that what you do? Is basically start without a media query at all?
1: Yeah, the absence of a media query is the first media query. I think it's the old, <laughs> which <laughs> would be the same Yoda thing as minimum with
0: zero m. So yeah, if you literally wrote thing. that, it would be not a media query because you yeah, can't, that media query can't fail.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like basically, don't yeah don't add that media query. Just start adding break. Well, I I like to say add breakpoints when things get weird. So you start with like a, uh just a tube of content basically is what it's going to look like, and you code, and then you stretch it out, and then when it starts looking weird, drop in another breakpoint and fix what's broken and you know people go crazy and they'll have like 1200 breakpoints and stuff that sounds like a nightmare to manage so i we try to keep it kind of pared down to 3 or 4 you know and and let things be weird for a bit but then you know just so you have maintainable code but um that's what i would do um i like yeah. that
0: you're thinking about it lee i the It's more of a – it's a tech consideration certainly, but it's bigger than that. The mobile first thing is more of a mental mind shift of traffic is really heading in this direction. Tons of people are going to be using my website in this way. Why don't I force myself to think about this experience first and Mm -hmm. then expand from that as I can? So like you know, I've made all the hard decisions already about what's going to fit on the screen when it's real, real small – and then, as it gets bigger, then you can be like, "Well, now that I have more room, maybe I can pull in some extra bits that wouldn't have fit otherwise it's going to be a better experience but but now that i i've already I've already not included them in the base experience, now I can make smart." things for ideas for performance. Like I'm gonna pull in this little module that has a little bit of extra content here, or I'm gonna pull in the high res version of a chart or something because that wasn't gonna fit on the small screen, but I can include it bigger, but only conditionally. So if if the if the browser doesn't cut the mustard as it were, you it can it can just not have that. So you're the the idea is that it's a tech tech consideration that your performance is going to be better because your base experience is kind of stripped down to the basics. Uh, but it's a it's, it's just a, progressive. It's everything, sense, uh, you know,
1: it is. Indeed. Um I was a little anecdote. Mm. Chris, we were talking last night. Uh, I tweeted out a link to an article I wrote um, about garbage. And it's uh, I tweeted it at like 430. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to look at my stats like real time traffic. Um, and I was getting like 58 percent mobile traffic from a link I tweeted at like 430 p.m. So not, I'm not saying like my go by my stats or anything like that, but I I just, I was surprised that the tide was more mobile than desktop, you know, over half, um, over half mm-hmm. was, was mobile and it was that way for a good, I, I like 20 minutes while I just had that window open. So, um, anyway, so that, that if there's an argument for reading mobile or like for mobile stuff, it's do that. Um, I did also see a stat that one sixth of Facebook's traffic is mobile only right now. So one in six Facebook users don't even log into Facebook from a computer. Ever They only log in from their phone. And it's like, how do people view content? Well, they go on Facebook and they like whatever, click out to BuzzFeed. So (laughs) like, uh, so that's, I mean, it's kind of this. I, to me, I'm still I'm still shocked by the data, but the reality is suggesting like mobile is how people are driving around now.
2: So maybe we should um, we should us all start developing from mobile devices because, you know, then we'd be a lot more because we tend to just optimize whatever it is that we use most of the time. And most of us use like a, you know, a fancy laptop with multiple monitors and all that stuff, right? Yeah. We use
1: like $6,000 worth of equipment to to build a site for a cat.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes I just like to, I, you know, I put myself in crappy Wi-Fi situations. I don't, I try and use, you know, older browsers, like just to see what, you know, what is it like to be the users? So if the users now are mostly mobile, You know, maybe we should be crazy and start developing for mobile phones. I know that's insane, but.
1: (laughs) What about a laptop that does not, it's illegal to install a browser and you don't, but you can duct tape a phone to it. (laughs) So that's your only problem. Well, at least have
0: open an emulator (laughs) instead of having, instead of having like in a typical left right, yeah, instead of having Chrome open as your, as your dev tool or have Chrome open and, and have it. Well, okay. This is tough, but I like the, I like the idea of thinking about it. I often have the iOS simulator open and I know that still has really good, um, bandwidth still because it's attached to your computer but it's there's things you can do about that yeah, yeah you yeah.
2: could so you could you you could have something that auto resizes your chrome screen i know our our mobile developer uh, laura she is working on a chrome extension right now that i guess kind of fuzzes your cursor a bit so that it's not as much of a point and it also disables hover effect what? yeah so it, cool. it sounds really cool Sick. so stuff to make it seem you know you know seem like you're you're basically using a touch device so so you combine that with you know resizing your screen to be small with having like Charles proxy or whatever some sort of thing like you know slowing down your bandwidth and then you know then we're like oh wow so maybe it's just something that your computer just goes into you know uh, normal user mode for 10% of the day and you're forced to experience it I don't know
0: I like That's, it. I like I it like a lot. That. I don't like get, the idea of like, of like ruining your authoring environment. That yeah. should still be awesome. You should still like really enjoy writing code in the place that you do that in. Cause otherwise you'll get disenchanted with the work, which you don't want. But if the testing environment was, was more real worldy, that would be really neat. As long as you still have a really good console, you still have a really good in, ability to inspect. But, you know, the, the screen size was a little more normal. The, you know, you're emulating. The tap world better and that's a really good idea. I like it.
1: You're gonna hate me when I say this. It's gonna sound like a paid advertisement, but Windows 8 has Snap Mode, which is basically like a tube of content. It's like a very tall phone that you can like pin to the side of your coding environment. IE 10 you mean right? I10, yeah. When I10 on Windows 8. So and you could maybe Chrome has a version For too. Windows but basically, 8. it's like you can split it like it's like a 320 and then the rest of your screen. So. Then you
0: gotta use the and are the dev tools in IE ten okay? I heard they actually are kind of they're okay. They're actually
1: right? kinda decent, yeah. F twelve developer tools, you mean <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh
1: they're pretty okay. But like, yeah, totally. I mean, I don't I'm I'm like starting to feel underdoggy about Windows right now. So so it's like, man, I really wanna like I don't know. I if I could maybe co- convert my whole dev environment over there, I would consider it but we'll see i suppose i could sublime pre-pros i don't want to that makes me sad
0: we got one here from samuel <laughs> with this really cool <laughs> spelling of it <laughs> samuela con oh look at Khan last name ah. no relation I, I
1: assume product synergy man it's
0: spelled the same too like the uh, ruler <laughs> i am going <laughs> to be interviewed for a front-end dev job if you were going to hire such a person, what would you ask? What skills should I acquire and what level of CSS and JavaScript should I have? You know, he's about to go in for a, and I assume with some level of nervousness, probably to go be interviewed for a front end job. Like what, what, what is, what is Samuel going to be asked?
2: Um well, he should check out i mean there's there's the uh the front end Darcy clark's front end interviewing questions wiki and it has a bunch of questions on there that they're just good to ask yourselves and you know see how how comfortable you feel with the answer um and I think some of them i, I actually have asked myself um I tend to you know interviewing for front end uh I tend to see, you know, what they've had experience with. Like, have they, have they tried to use MVC frameworks? Do they know about CSS preprocessors? Like, how much, how much do they care about tools that will make their code, um, you know, cleaner and and nicer? Because with front-end code, the thing that I worry about is not whether you're going to figure out how to make it work, is whether you're going to write it in a way that's, you know, maintainable and, and nice and modular. Um, because it's just, it's so easy for front end code to go completely spaghetti. Um, so I, I, I look for like, you know, how would they, how would they organize their code? It's like, all right, if you have this sort of thing, how would you break it down to different components and what framework would you use? And it's not a right answer. I just want to know that they care about that. Um, and then I might also see if they, if they think about performance, right? Because typically when you ask questions about performance, you're asking about, you know, O of N and all that stuff. But when, you know, I want to see if they know that for front end performance, it's not necessarily just standard algorithmic complexity. It's all, you know, it's also like your HP requests and your, you know, your latency on page scroll and all that stuff. So I might ask them to do for Coursera be like, okay, how would you do an infinitely scrolling course catalog? Um, And how would you deal with the performance concerns there? And how would you shoot off API requests and store it and all that stuff?
0: Those are super good things to consider.
1: I love all those. Pamela, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you a Darcy Clark front end developer interview question. (laughs) Are you ready?
2: Hey, didn't you read my articles called Technical Interviews Make Me Cry? But okay.
1: Okay. (laughs) Really? You're the worst possible person to ask. Here we go. Uh, What the difference between a variable that is null, undefined or undeclared.
2: Oh, come on. Okay. That's a JavaScript question. Um <laughs> so, you know, null is explicitly setting it to null. They're just they're different they're different things. Um in JavaScript. Um so if you if you haven't declared a variable, it just doesn't exist. If you haven't defined it, then you've declared it but not given it a value. And if it's null, then you've actually said explicitly that this this variable is null. Um How,
1: how would you go about checking for any of these? I would
0: have failed. I would have got an F minus on this question.
2: (laughs) How would you check? So checking is actually kind of tricky for some of them. So, cause you, you can check, you can use the type of operator. But, um, because there is some trickiness to checking for like undefined and that stuff, I would usually, um, I would actually, you know, if I'm using underscore, I'm just going to use underscore, um, because they have the is undefined and is null. Like I could write it myself, but um, you know, sometimes there are weird things about checking this in JavaScript. Um, so I, I'd use that, or I would just you know, look up and remember, because it's something. There's some gotchas.
1: I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. The right <laughs> answer is exclamation, exclamation, variable. <laughs> it works every time. You can do that, I guess. I'm just kidding.
2: I, uh, I like yeah. things to be explicit. Some things are too magic.
1: Uh awesome. Well, okay, well you passed, you get the job, I guess. Uh No, go I'm going to I'm going to and... cry now.
2: I'm crying. <laughs> I'm really. It's I'm emotional.
1: Be like a <laughs> afternoon full of ice cream. <laughs> yep.
2: Yes, I was just looking for an excuse to have an afternoon full of ice cream So thank you. Now I have it.
1: <laughs> just a bathtub full of ice cream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, cool, uh, Chris. You got anything else? No. No, I think that'll wrap it Did up. Did you want to take the test? I'm gonna hire Chris Coyier.
0: What do you got? Is it? Can you ask a JavaScript one? So yep. I so I get it
1: wrong for sure. Yep. Let's see. Um. <laughs> oh, geez, some of these Explain hoisting. I don't know. No, oh,
0: I I kind of know, right? Or shoot! Isn't it like if you like. Declare a variable like way later in scope; it actually like gets declared earlier in the scope than you think it would, and it's it's confusing or something. Although it's never happened to me in real life.
2: Um. Yeah, it's because variables have function scope in JavaScript, and they get they get their declarations get hoisted to the top, which is why one of the one of the recommended practices is that you always declare all of your variables at the very top of your function, which I think is a little extreme because
0: they're going to get declared there anyway. Yeah. So you might as well...
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that's the thing. It's fun to look at the Darcy Clark interview questions because, um, stuff, like stuff about JavaScript is tricky. Uh, I mm-hmm. I forget it half the time, so I you know I enjoy rereading, um, you know, great articles on Mozilla um, well Developer Network to remind me, you know, stuff like about how prototypal inheritance really works and the kind of gotchas around it. There's a ton of gotchas in JavaScript, so, um, you know, it, this is the kind of stuff I would just relearn every few months.
1: Yeah.
0: I give myself a D minus.
1: We should get Darcy on the show and ask him every every single one of these. (laughs) Just grill him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I tried to,
0: I took some of his questions and I added some of my own questions recently and I posted it on my own blog and kind of modernized a few of them that were getting old and, and then kind of wrote what I think are like kind of, not answers necessarily, but other things that you should think about related to those questions. So I can put that link in the show notes too, but only the CSS stuff. I didn't, I only did that. So feel free to reference that. Anyway, I think we can, I think we're about through. Hey Dave.
1: Yeah, I think we're all out of time. Pamela, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, for those people who are not yet following you, uh, how can they follow you? Uh, Download your repos,
2: give you money. How does that work? Um, yeah, you just have to Google us <laughs> or just go to go to PamelaFox.org or Twitter slash PamelaFox or all that stuff. I, I tried to get my name everywhere and Google plus is now giving, giving us the ability to yeah, have. Yeah,
0: did you get
1: plus plus yes. Pamela Fox? Yes, nice. I'm also
2: going to get that. So even though I don't use it, but whatever it's cool, just have your name in more places because we all just love our names because we're horribly vain human beings, but yeah.
1: I should have asked this at the beginning. Is Fox your real last name or is it some kind of power last name that you invented?
2: Fox, yeah. Fox is my, is my real last name. I know it's, it's an amazing name and I will never, never be changing it. Um, and, uh, and actually if you want to hear an even better name, my brother's name is Hunter Fox.
1: Awesome. Think about that. You should marry someone with the last name black. <laughs> so you can be like black fox
2: i was thinking or silver, silver or red silver. i don't know it's this good. whole black foxing
1: i don't think that that's out. it's just more powerful i think <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Sorry. All right. Uh thank you everyone for listening, tuning in, uh downloading the show, subscribing in iTunes. We really appreciate that. Chat room, thank you for coming out and uh providing facts. We really appreciate that. Uh you can be sure to follow us at Shop Talk Show on Twitter and we also have a store, shoptalkshow show slash store. And uh yeah, there's uh fun stuff that you can put on your person. Um, Chris, you got anything else for us?
2: ChopTalkShow.com. Uh,